0: Communicating effectively through a crisis. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news and information. Events over the past two years have certainly highlighted how important it is for flight operations to have an effective Emergency Response Plan or ERP in place to guide them through an emergency situation or crisis. And it's vital that such a plan include guidance for communicating effectively, both internally and externally. I'm pleased to welcome two industry experts today who are both well-versed in developing such a plan and deploying it properly. Lisa Swartzwelder is Director of Shuttle Operations and Flight Administration at L Brand Service Company. And Don Chupp is President and CEO at Fireside Partners, Incorporated. Don, before we get to the steps for developing a crisis communications plan, what defines a crisis for a business aviation flight operation?
1: In general, a crisis is really any critical event that, if not effectively managed, could result in negative consequences for that flight operation. Now, having said that, words matter, especially in communications. And so I actually like to draw a distinction between the word crisis and the word emergency. To us in emergency response, a a crisis is an event that started with something critical, just like an emergency, but it becomes a crisis because the business aviation flight operation hasn't practiced it. They don't have a formative plan to address it, and therefore they lose their ability to mitigate the negative consequences on their organization. In emergency, on the other hand, you have practiced, you have developed a formative plan, and therefore you are able
0: to positively influence aspects of the outcome. That's an important distinction Don raised, Lisa. Has that been your experience as well?
2: It has. I think that you go back to your, your goals and your values and principles of the organization. And basically, with regards to communication, First step is immediate, clear, transparent, and even if you don't know what you don't know, you say that. Because you need to communicate with transparency and with your guiding principles leading the way.
0: And of course, it's important to have a plan in place before a crisis situation develops. What steps can flight operations take to prepare Lisa and what other company departments should be involved in that process?
2: First and foremost is understand and look through or or change any paradigms that we may have with regard to flight operations being an island. We are behaving and following the same moral and principles of the rest of the organization, and our planning and practice of crisis response falls within that. Same bucket. And so it is critical for the flight operation to develop relationships, be a part of the crisis conversations across the global enterprise and embed the unique intellectual crisis resources that come with mitigating risk in a flight operation across the rest of the organization.
1: Don? Well, you know, to borrow a Stephen Covey belief or philosophy, one of the the highly effective habits is to begin with the end in mind. I think an organization would be well served to think about at the end of responding to a crisis, what do we want to be able to say about ourselves, how we performed, how we acted? Uh, Did we hold true to the core principles that have always defined our organization, good time or bad? And and really, what what do we want to say in our outbrief to each other? What are the important things that we took care of, irrespective of the specifics of the circumstance? And for a lot of organizations, those core facets or core competencies, if you will, are the same. Take care of your people. Communicate effectively throughout. And lastly, to demonstrate that as a company, we really are who you believe we are. And we've demonstrated that even in the wake of a very bad situation. When you when you ask about what other company departments should be involved, I I don't mean to sound tongue in cheek, but I would say all of them. Any department that finds that they don't have a role is probably because they don't quite understand the context of these emergencies when they happen. Even if your role is simply to keep the business going, while others are actively responding. I think that every department would get value from participating in things like drills and exercises, and uh, I hope that Lisa would agree with that.
2: I wholeheartedly agree, and if I may, internally, you know, key partnerships, key stakeholders, not only involving them on workshops and exercises, but throughout the continuum, right, throughout the year, is staying in touch with these key folks from risk management, legal, HR, customer care, finance, technology, and building the relationship so when things do present themselves, the relationship is built, we know what to expect from each other's roles and responsibilities. And may I add, also reaching out externally with such partners as Donna Fireside and Avium and NTSB, um, and diversify the portfolio of really expert resources that are out there that can complement our planning and response. And I may add, too, I think another key uh, relationship to to build and incorporate into crisis communications and response and planning is with the aircraft broker and insurer. So, you know, partnering with your aircraft insurance company and broker is is key because they have numerous resources uh, that you are aware of and, and you use.
0: It sounds like developing a crisis communications plan can be an example of the flight operation even leading the rest of the company in that area, Don.
1: That's absolutely a certainty, and I, I see it in a lot of organizations where the the flight operation becomes this essential business unit and and has this internal fund of knowledge because it's in our DNA in aviation to be prepared and to practice and overcome adverse events. Uh, It's almost done on a daily basis in our industry. So it's such a natural thing for us to be prepared to do that we really can set the example for the broader organization. You know, Rob, speaking specifically about communications, I might also add that when you look at any organization, even outside of business aviation, any organization that is struggling in its response to a bad event is struggling most likely because they are not communicating effectively. They have not practiced the interchange of information, keeping each other updated with critical developments. And, you know, when a lot of people think about communication, they see that as an external activity, perhaps talking to the media or releasing information into public spaces. But communication transcends every single aspect of the emergency response plan, and it touches and influences every part of it. And if it's effective, then the likelihood that your organizational response is going to be effective is pretty good. If you haven't practiced it and you're having challenges and you're not sure who the different consumers are of different kinds of information, then the entire response is going to look disjointed and at its worst, probably disingenuous.
0: More in just a moment after this message from NBAA.
2: NBAA Flight Plan listeners, your podcast is ready everywhere. You can download it from iTunes, ask your smart speaker to give you a listen, or hear it in any car with Apple's CarPlay.
0: NBAA Flight Plan, available anytime, anywhere. We're back now with Lisa Swartzwelder and Don Chupp and our discussion about important steps in developing a crisis communications plan for your flight operation. So Don, with that plan now in place, what are the first steps a flight operation should take in a crisis situation?
1: informally, I would say that the first step that everyone involved should take is take a deep breath and acknowledge that the next several hours and potentially next several days are going to be incredibly stressful and allow yourself permission not to be perfect. And and the old Voltaire adage comes into mind when we say never let perfect get in the way of being really good. And so I would always start with that. In fact, I've always felt that that should be step number one in every emergency plan. Take a deep breath and be aware that this is going to be a very challenging time frame. But in a much more practical sense, I I kind of point to three things that organizations typically struggle with. The first is to maintain certainty across all of those stakeholders that we are aware, collectively aware that something has happened. We've communicated the essentials of what that is, and we've made the right individuals. Uh, we've, We've gotten them out of bed, so to speak. We've gotten them around the table, so to speak, so that we can begin to formulate an effective response. So that awareness, that initial awareness is key. The next is, okay, so, we had a phone call or we had some way in which information came to us that concerned us enough to get everybody woken up. Uh, Have we confirmed the factual nature of that communication? Are we certain that that report that we got is indeed accurate and requires action on our part? And then third, I would say, once you've achieved the awareness and confirmation, a sense of magnitude is important. what I mean is. Does this report, this factual report, uh, are the elements of it concerning enough or serious to the degree in which activation of our plan is warranted? You see, a lot of plans just assume that you already know that stuff and that's why you're opening the plan. But I've, I've watched many organizations activate or fail to activate based on the fact that they just didn't do that precursor work of achieving awareness, confirming it as factual, and getting a sense of how serious is this, and does it necessitate activation
0: of our plan? What initial steps would you recommend, Lisa?
2: A big deep breath, and also I think that synchronization of, I'll call it checklist right items, Don helped me and our team uncover the importance of methodically and sequentially integrating our aviation crisis response steps, especially with the focus on communication, aligned closely right in step with the overall crisis leadership responses. And to practice that, so everyone around the the tabletop exercise is eager and and excited about working through their respective roles and responsibility but what came to light through this practice time and time again is that we need it orchestrated we need that everyone have an understanding that my part of this sequentially happens after X, Y, Z, especially as it pertains to internal communications, external communications, and taking care of people first. So I guess I would have to say that this aha moment has come that I, that I like to think through, focus on, and built into our, our planning and practice is sequencing of, of events, within your crisis response with the overarching enterprise crisis plan in practice.
0: Now, this is going to be a very dynamic situation, and I'd imagine that any crisis communications plan might need to be adapted on the fly. How might a crisis plan be modified as the situation evolves, Lisa? And what steps of that plan should absolutely not be changed?
2: I go back to the beginning, and our defined goals of crisis management Uh, leading by our guiding principles and values, that never wavers. And we put things into very clear, defined categories of response and levels. And uh, everyone trains to that. So those are components that never, never change. Now, in our plans, and in our practice, everything is fluid. So the old days of aviation crisis response plans in the big three ring binder and you go step by step by step and everything's the pandemic you know we couldn't even lift those binders they're so heavy because it tried to outline every step what if all that information which is really interesting now as you look back and look at those old aviation crisis response plans and now we have frameworks that allow for the variability of circumstances and scalability of crisis, escalation. So I think that the plan in and of itself out front and communicated that, you know, everything's not going to be outlined here, but we are going to behave in in a way led by our principles and our values. And we have a framework of response that can tackle any challenge and that everyone feels confident in, in their ability to respond and comfortable.
1: I can get behind all of that 100%. And I think put differently, but the same sort of uh, feeling is that your macro core values should not And cannot, I would even say, waver just because an event is bad or dynamic uh, or things change and adapt. I know there's everyone from famous boxers who said, you know, no plan survives the first right hook to your chin. And there's famous generals who said no plan survives first contact with the enemy. I actually don't agree with those sentiments. And that's because your plan should be agnostic enough to the scenario, to any scenario that, there's more about it that will always stay the same than will ever change. And your changes therefore are sort of micro events. And since we're talking predominantly about communications, obviously the words that you choose are going to have to be relevant to the scenario. But the main anatomy of your communications, the opportunities that you have in that to remind everyone about who you are as a company and the important things that you're doing in response to this bad event, that basic framework should never change because to me as the practitioner inside the company, I need that confidence. If if we're always changing the compass points, especially in a time of of crisis or uncertainty, then that just contributes to the overall angst uh, that all of us feel. We wanna know that as we're executing What we practiced and what we planned for, we can do that with confidence and certainty. And when you can do that, that adds a lot to the
0: organizational effectiveness. What about as the crisis situation lessens, Don, how should a flight operation perhaps close out the situation?
1: I think the first step is to call a definitive end to the emergency response. Basically, in essence, you've accomplished or confronted all of the important things you set out to do, that there's a natural tapering off of the intensity of the event, and we all have to get back to work. I mean, we we owe that to our employees, we owe that to our shareholders, and, and in a lot of cases, the public at large. And so having this completely consume us for extended periods of time and not do any work is is really not a practical reality. So the first is call a definitive end to the emergency response. And in doing so, do note, uh, do make it clear to all of your team members that this is gonna ebb and flow. There's gonna be spikes that are gonna kind of bring us back a little bit. When we were at the NTSB, we had an internal mantra which said that organizations are most likely to have an accident when they've had an accident. and it it speaks to that distraction intensity uh, that comes out of enacting these plans. And so I think in in totality, the return to operations involves both your people and checking in with them and making sure they're okay and and affording them time off and you've got to analyze how you did and what you did. And then it also involves your your equipment as well. you know, are we, ready uh, from an equipment and material standpoint to get back to work. And if those answers are yes, then we have to do it. But there is no hard and fast uh, line in the sand, so to speak. This is once you pass this, you have to go back to work. But this is change management at its absolute core. And if you understand SMS change management, then you'll probably understand what's required to get back to work effectively after a serious event.
2: Right, and I think that comes from crisis leadership as far as a definitive end to the crisis, and then shifting, pivoting into uh, what Don talked about, especially with self-care, allowing and actively motivating individuals that were involved and had roles and responsibilities and even those that didn't within a flight operation to practice self-care and supporting individuals to throw the flag and and make sure everyone knows that it's okay not to be okay. You know, we, we keep saying people first. So those plans and the tabletop, the simulations, those all have to begin and be structured around triaging and taking care of people. When we think about diversity, equity, inclusion, how is that represented in our aviation crisis response plans and practice and communications? So it's really taking a very deep concentrated look at okay we say people first but how are we backing that up human interactions uh, especially in a crisis situation okay great how are we supporting individuals during um response how are we supporting our individuals our associates, our vendors, the communities that we work and serve. So taking a look across the human continuum and making sure that we can allocate the time and financial resources to truly back up the statement, people first.
0: That's a really great point, Lisa, and one I hadn't really considered in the context of crisis communications. Don?
1: I'd love to contribute to that same line of thought. And... Lisa talked about people and how essential it is. And when we're talking about communications in an emergency context, if you do the things that Lisa just talked about, you have actually armed your communications team with some really powerful, positive language to inject in a scenario that has nothing but negativity on it. And for instance, what I mean is you see a lot of organizations communicate and they'll say something to the effect of, our thoughts and prayers are with the families. Uh, Organizations that haven't thought through what we've talked about today have to revert to those kind of trite and overused kind of uh, sets of language. But for the rest of us, and and if you incorporate and give, give deep thought to what Lisa just said, we actually can say things much more specifically. We can say right now we have trained people assisting all of the families affected by this tragedy and they're receiving care and support and resources. I mean, what a powerful thing for a communications person to be able to say in the wake of a bad event. And lastly, if we're going to talk about people, we, we draw a big circle around that word. And we we tend to think, you know, a lot about victims and those directly involved, but we have to think about our own teams as well, who are also comprised of people who also also need to feel included and inclusive. And so one of the things that modern organizations do and should do on the DEI front is make sure that if you're part of this emergency plan and you're expected to be called into action, that we've done the proactive work culturally in our organization to make absolutely sure that everyone feels a part of the team, that their contributions are valued, and that without them, we cannot win, because that's the absolute truth behind DEI. No team who is is fractured and does not feel a part of something important is going to be successful on the field.
2: The ability as an organization to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry this happened, and that old adage that, oh, legally, don't say that, please, because, boy, that puts us in a bind. But for an organization to be genuinely expressive in coming out of the block and in saying, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's, I, I think, a hurdle that we don't talk about much.
1: Litigation is, is a certainty. After any bad event where someone's been been killed or injured, I think we can all agree on that. And so it, it ultimately boils down to this: What would you rather defend? The fact that you demonstrated empathy and compassion by saying I'm sorry, or that you did none of that? Which which side of the lawyer's question do you want to be on? You know, why through all of this couldn't you even say something as simple and basic as I'm sorry? This event happen. I'm sorry about what you're going through. It's an antiquated adage to to say, hey, saying you're sorry admits some degree of culpability and liability. And if if a legal team still has that, I think we all, and I'll put this on my shoulders too, is
0: is we could really do a better job of educating out of that because it's needed. I think this conversation has really highlighted the importance of thinking through an effective and forthright crisis communications plan. My thanks to you both. And I encourage listeners to also be sure to check out NBAA's Flight Department Administration resource at nbaa.org admin to learn more about managing this and other aspects of a flight operation. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan.